Welcome to The Word is Resistance, a podcast where we creatively investigate what the Bible lectionary might have to teach us about faith and life in times of oppression, empire, racism, and harm. What do these sacred stories have to teach us, white Christians, about our role in resistance and about how to show up for collective liberation? In this season of Pentecost and the Christian liturgical year, we are following the journey of the people of Israel from Abraham through the Exodus to the arrival in the Promised Land. Our podcast music is a live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song, We Are Building Up a New World. This is a recording of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado, back in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. The Word is Resistance is designed with white listeners in mind, particularly white Christians. Of course, all are welcome, and we deeply value feedback from listeners of color and from those of faith traditions that are not Christian. But we are coming to this work as white Christians, acknowledging that we especially carry the responsibility for working against white supremacy and Christian supremacy in the ways that we read, pray with, discern, teach, and apply the scripture. I'm the Reverend Claire Brown, and I'm glad to be back with you after some time away, tending to my family and my parish during the upheavals of COVID-19 adaptation and exposure. I live and work in Eastern Cherokee and Creek Territory in Chattanooga, Tennessee, named from the Creek word for a nearby mountain that we call Lookout Mountain in English. The word Chattanooga means rock rising to a point. This week, as we read, study, and pray with the continuing story of the Exodus, this journey to freedom, we are mindful of all those around us who are in need of freedom and flourishing, those who are most vulnerable to suffering and who are longing for liberation. COVID-19 is raging on around us, And in the little city where I live, August was the deadliest month of the virus yet. In horrifying yet unsurprising new studies, we are learning that the disproportionate harm of the virus to people of color also extends to children. Children of color are being infected and hospitalized at astonishingly higher rates beyond white children. So we consider especially the innocent ones struggling and dying from this virus in a healthcare system, and a society that does not prioritize their care. The movement for Black Lives continues with the uprising in Kenosha, Wisconsin, after the shooting of Jacob Blake by a police officer. Jacob is still in critical care, and since the last podcast episode, we have learned that a white vigilante has been charged with killing two protesters and wounding another. This week, also, news broke that sheriff's deputies in Los Angeles have killed a black man. And while at the time of my recording, his identity had not been confirmed, my heart and our hearts are grieving with yet another community and family. This week too, I've become more mindful and attentive to the upsurge in white supremacist conspiracy theories that are being consumed and adopted into Christian communities. There's so much need for spiritual and political discernment around the stories that we tell and the stories we believe 
the way we frame these stories and find heroes and villains in them. And we have a desperate need simply to have some love and hope and trust in our community in order that we might speak and work a new world into being. In a season when so little feels trustworthy and true, dear ones, let's turn back to one of the oldest stories of how God has loved and intervened and how we are called to respond. Since Reverend Margaret's episode last week, the stakes between Moses and Pharaoh, Israel and Egypt, Yahweh and the gods of Egypt, have gone up tremendously. We see Moses having gone to Pharaoh, back to the royal house in which he was raised, to petition for the liberation of God's people. Now, I think there might be something interesting to be seen in this narrative and geographic and identity movement, how Moses was the son of a Hebrew and was taken then into power and privilege systems, then betrayed and fled that power and privilege, and now is returning to it to invite others to a different path. But that's not our liberation text today, so I won't go down that rabbit hole and start preaching. But anyway, as the story goes, Pharaoh will not let the people go. And in fact, the first efforts at liberation receive retribution. The tasks demanded of the enslaved people are increased and even more under-resourced, and so the conditions are worse than before. So the negotiation escalates, and we see the plagues. Do you remember? They're wild. Water becoming blood. Frogs and lice and locusts everywhere. Animals becoming sick. Everyone broken out in sores on their skin. There's hail and thunder and darkness. All these fr strange and frightening signs are causing suffering and speaking to suffering. It's a whole ecology of protest at the injustice that has been taking place against God's people. And still, the king is unrelenting, grasping this abusive system of exploitation. And so now the worst of the worst is coming. The death of firstborn children and animals all across Egypt. So this is the place in this story where I admit I have to pause. I have to put a hand on my heart and my belly and breathe deeply. As this story, this plot point that is repeated now about the killing of children does raise up every anxious and intrusive thought I've ever had about my own children. Back in chapter one, first we saw the Hebrew babies being drowned. And now Egyptian children are being killed. I don't have an answer for my dis-ease in this, but I do want to pause. This legendary tale is not an easy story that fits my sensibilities. It is an ancient war story. It is alarming and gritty and dramatic and violent. So, now we are at today's reading. That was kind of a long introduction, 
But it set the stage for what we read today, which is not, actually, the description of the events of the final plague, the death of the firstborn. This section is actually a set of ritual instruction. Scholars see a much later authorship for Exodus than the actual events that are being written about. And so the Passover that we read here in chapter 12 is not about the history, but how to commemorate it. It's a liturgy for the celebration of a story that may have never actually historically happened. As Christians who don't honor Passover, and please don't do the whole Christian Seder thing, that's a lot more than I can get into here, but I'll link an article on that in the transcript. Um, anyway, we can still receive these instructions, this ritual guide, as a way of thinking about being in the world and preparing for God's liberation. This is a fantastic combination of ritual worship and concrete preparation for social action. So here we go. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. This thing you're experiencing, that the people are bearing witness to from the past, this ritual should stop time. This is the moment that should reset history. This is a new year, the moment in time that sets the stage for all other moments in time, all other events and plannings and rhythm of life, all the grief you have known, the babies that were drowned, the days of sweat and blood and not enough to eat, that feeling that there was no future to be had. All that is over. God has seen and heard. God is coming. This is the after. This is a whole new life. And the chapter goes on. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Your lamb should be without blemish, a year-old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. So we see that the community preparation is a shared multi-level responsibility. First, households or groups of households as needed acquire the animal for sacrifice. And then the sacrifice itself takes place all together at the same time. This sense of the preparatory action being both a private and public affair is a good picture of the layers of engagement in justice work and in faith work. For me, it even calls to mind... COVID-19 pod communities, right? If a household is too small, then that person or persons need to band together with other households in order to have their needs met. Isn't that beautiful? God says to build yourselves a little sustainable unit of immediate community so that you can lay the groundwork for practicing faith and broader community action. We go on. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. 
Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted over the fire, with its head, legs, and inner organs. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. So this public and unified sacrifice and feast has a deeper political and religious significance. Because just a few chapters earlier in Exodus, we saw a description of how the people of God had to actually go out into the wilderness in order to make their sacrifice and worship God. They were concerned that their practices would offend the religious beliefs and practices of the Egyptians who revered animals as part of their religion. But now the people of Israel are making a declaration. It's very confrontational to do this act of worship right there in the community. And they are saying that they are not afraid or ashamed. Their time for freedom and hope has arrived. They will not be silenced or intimidated into hiding who they are and how they worship anymore. The meat is roasted because roasting is quick. The bread is unleavened because there's no time for yeast to rise. Eat it all. Or if there are leftovers, go ahead and throw them out because you won't be here to enjoy them tomorrow. It's time to move. This is how you shall eat it. The scripture goes on with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. This is the Passover of the Lord. So get ready to roll, y'all. Eat fast. Have your travel clothes on. It is time to go. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Packing your bags, getting ready to run, killing an animal and putting its blood on your house. This is all really intense. It's a dramatic action. But is it as intense as their suffering has been? Does this ritual match the intensity of generations denied dignity and life and freedom? The rabbis see this gesture of blood on the doorframe not as a sign of magic or power in itself, but the sign of faith. This is the sign to the people that in doing it, they are enacting confidence that God is here and God's liberation is coming. And finally, we see the closing of this passage in verse 14. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. Again, this scripture is not about describing a historical event. But it's about how to commemorate this part of identity and story that is so, so central in the tradition of Israel. So, my friends, what do we now do with this exegesis? How does this text fit our work in our own souls, in our faith communities, in our society?
at the risk of getting maybe a little off topic, I want to say that I am drawn to passages in the Old Testament that give instructions for how Israel was to treat and interact with foreigners who joined their community. We see this guidance in Deuteronomy and in Numbers, maybe more concretely in the story of Ruth the Moabite who accompanied her mother-in-law, Naomi. And right here, later in Exodus 12, it says that a mixed multitude or a diverse crowd went with the people out of Egypt. People outside the lineage of Israel were drawn to this community and wanted to be among them, wanted to be part of this liberation. I love these snapshots because I am sometimes, honestly, a little anxious about what it means as a very much Gentile Christian to align myself with parts of the Jewish tradition when so much of what that has looked like in Christian history has been so harmful and anti-Semitic. And I like these snapshots because of the wisdom that they offer me also as a person with a lot of social privilege wanting to be part of a liberation movement. This wisdom helps me discern what does it mean to love these people from my different location? What does it mean to be part of this movement with boundaries and health around what isn't actually mine here? So as I'm reading Exodus, doing this work and looking at these instructions for Passover, I'm wary of claiming anything that I shouldn't. And I also realized that I might be failing in that discernment right here and now in this podcast. Again, this is a place where I don't have a clear answer as I read and study and pray and discern with the scripture, but I just wanted to pause and name it. So here is what I am hoping to faithfully hear and love and live into from this text this week. With this change in the calendar, I see that our sense of time and meaning, our values, our community story, has to be grounded and oriented more than anything in the confidence that God's loving and life-giving liberation is here. We have to honor this, pray it, tell the story again and again until we have built our lives around it. When we look at and work at our participation in God's movement of justice and love, we must dance our attention back and forth between the larger and smaller communities we are a part of. We synchronize with the big picture movement, but we don't forget the household. Don't forget your family, your partner, your kids or your beloveds, and don't let yourself get lonely. We have to be brave in love and be brave in faith. This is a time to live unashamed in our hope and our confidence in that audacious weirdness it takes to believe that a different world is possible. This is not the season to worry about what people will think of us. This is not the season to worry about loyalty to whiteness or even loyalty to certain forms of Christianity or, frankly, of movement work. We can't be too concerned that we will be questioned for asking for more love or for more clarity or for more truth-telling. 
Those things will always stretch our communities. But this is a time to love God's call to them wholeheartedly and publicly. And finally, we have to be ready to move. God's liberation is here. We have to have our stuff in order and our souls and selves prepared so that we can walk out of old ways of being and doing, walk away from harm and trauma and oppression, and into a future we might not even fully be able to imagine. We have to be nourished and prepared so that we can say goodbye to old ways and walk into new ones. So this week... Let's feed our bodies and souls. Let's check in on our relationships. Let's nourish ourselves with prayer and ritual and worship and preparation so that we can stay ready. It is a long walk ahead. It's a long walk, loves, into freedom. But God is here. God is on the move and God is lighting our path to this vision of home. Thank you for listening today. The transcript this week will include some resources to support your action and resources for learning. Let us know how it's going. Comment on our SoundCloud or Facebook. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org. Our podcast is on SoundCloud. You can search the word is resistance and interact with us there if you have questions or need help with any action ideas. Be sure and like this episode or rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. The transcripts will be available on our website that will include any references and credits and copyright information. And as always, thanks so much to our sound editor, Max. Don't forget to tune in next week as we continue in this journey of freedom. Take care.